Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. Now guys, if, if you've been with us for more than a year, you, you definitely will have heard us talking about vision. But it probably it doesn't look like the five-year plan or even the ten-year plan um, as we talk about vision, and you may remember from, from this time last year, what we, want, what we talk about is a vision of the kingdom of God. Um, because visions are good, but more important than having our vision, a vision of God's kingdom. All right? Um, and what does that look like? Because the word vision, it's a, it's a visual concept, right? It's... It's not even dot points so much as a picture. So what does that look like? In, um, in Luke 7, I, I love this passage. We're not going to spend much time on it this morning. But in Luke 7, um, there is a, a wonderful interaction. We, when we open the chapter of Luke 7, we see, and you can do that if you like, but we see Jesus first healing the centurion's servant. He just says, with a word, you know, and, and the man goes off and finds at home that his servant is healed. And then we see Jesus wrecking a funeral. You know, we see, we see this widow um, who, who has a son. So she's not only lost her husband, she's lost her son. And, and they're carrying the body in a briar. And Jesus turns up and, of course, completely wrecks the funeral and raises this man to, to life. Um, and, and so he is... He is doing all sorts of stuff that is quite out there. And then immediately after that point, John's disciples come to him with a question from from John the Baptist, this is, which says, are you the one that we're waiting for? Is there someone else? And Jesus says to them in response, he says, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? We talked this time last year about Isaiah 61, that Jesus reads as he begins his ministry. He says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, to release from darkness from the prisoners, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he, he knew, he had a vision of the kingdom of God. And, um, and we don't so much have a five-year plan as just a desire to fall in love with that vision. We want to be captured by the kingdom of God, the picture that God sees of, of what the future could be, of what his kingdom on earth could look like. And... Um, you know, this morning we, we're thrilled to welcome back some friends from IJM. Um, you may remember if you're here for our all-age service back in September, Claire Bernard joined us, and it's lovely to have her and her son this morning. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, and, you know, we company Claire is Vic and uh, Trisha. Thank you, get your name right. Um, and 
you know, we, we would like to just enjoy, um, invite... Well, first we want to say thank you for coming. Welcome. Um, Vic, why don't you come up and join me? I think we have a microphone for you. We'd love to hear a little bit from you. And um, thank we're going to so get much. some stools. There you are. You're on. What's Welcome. that? You're, you're, you're yes, on. Yes, I believe I'm on. Good stuff. <laughs> um, Thanks. Let's go and get those stools. And then we'll just... Vic, first let me ask you a little bit to tell, tell us a little bit about yourself so we can get to know you. Where, where are you sure. from, Vic? Well, we are from California. Please don't hold that against us. <laughs> we, uh, sure. I uh, grew up there, and my wife did not. We met in Hawaii. And uh, next month, we celebrate our 40-year anniversary. Well done. Fantastic. Yes. Fantastic. With my lovely, as Eric called, <laughs> but uh, I'm getting to know the language. Uh, yeah, 40-year anniversary two kids, and it has just been an incredible adventure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, obviously, in your house, you and your wife, but you have, you have kids and grandchildren? We have two grandchildren. Okay. Our kids are grown, obviously, and I have a black lab named Lucy. Okay. <laughs> All right. And how long have you been over here in, in Australia so far? We've been here about one week, uh, been very busy, and we're staying another week. Yeah, wow. And, uh, it's our first time here. Uh, I love it. Too. Yeah. I yeah. apologize that we may have brought some f- fires with us, but uh, we we yeah. want better. But yeah. Well, you yeah. <laughs> look. We you've just been speaking at the justice conference, and yes. you know I've read a little bit of your story, Vic. And you know I've got to say, I I got to say as I read some of it, I thought here's somebody who has also been captured by that kingdom yeah. of God. Can can you, oh, yeah. you and you work for IJM? Yes. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about what you do, what your current work is, help us understand a bit about what you do? Sure. I spent 22 years in law enforcement in California, mostly in drug trafficking investigations, and was able to retire at the young age of 50 and got recruited to come to work for International Justice Mission to help do sex trafficking, slave labor investigations, and help train our investigators and bring them up. And so we spent 10 years full-time doing that. And now I'm in a, a kind of a transition mode where I'm, I'm taking short-term projects with IGM, three months here, four months there, and traveling around a bit because I'm not getting younger. And I'm trying to raise up young people to, to take over and to fill the need. And so that's kind of what I'm doing with uh, different projects uh, involving slave labor of children, sex trafficking of young girls, violence against the poor in some of our countries, uh, just helping out in a lot of different areas around the world. Mm-hmm. Now, is some of what you do quite dangerous? It is risky. Yeah. I mean, there is risk and there is danger in it. Uh, I don't believe that's a reason not to do it. Yeah. It's hard, hardest thing I've ever done. Uh, we plan well, though. It's not like we just run out there and, mm-hmm. and do this. We plan well. We pray well. Uh, in fact, we take a, a half an hour every day just to set aside, to spend quiet time with God, because the work is so challenging. Mm. It really is God's work. But at the end of the day, there's going to be risk, mm. because we have to go into the darkness. We have to go where many of the oppressed are. Mm. Otherwise, no one is going to speak to them. They're, they're never going to see the light when they're held in darkness. Can you so, tell us about one of those situations, perhaps? Uh, I can that. tell you about many of them. <laughs> but, uh, pick one for that. Well, for example... Um, one of the projects that's really on my heart is, is the country of Ghana. And we received reports many years ago about child slavery in the fishing industry. And so I got tasked with a colleague and I to go down there and investigate child slavery on Lake Volta. It's the largest man-made lake in the world. 
I mean, 3,283 square miles of surface water. It's huge, and it's all done by slave children. And we get called to go down there and investigate, find out if it exists, and maybe a strategy on how we might be able to address it. And uh, I thought I was prepared for it. But when you stand in front of a child who's maybe six years old, starving to death, and you have this menacing slave master who laughs as he tells me how he abuses him and gets him to work, it was incredibly tough. But at the same time, I, I, uh, I just felt like God is giving us an opportunity to, to do something about it. Um, and so half the story is the hardness, the difficulty, the ugliness of this work uh, that's in the world. But the, that's only the, half the story because there is great joy and there is great hope. And there is such intense purpose about the work. Um, we've rescued 168 boys now since we started that project. Just each, each and every one of them is just an incredible story, too. Their lives, their hopes, their dreams. Um, so that's one example of 150, I could tell you. <laughs> I guess um, particularly, I, I, you know, all of us know that in those hard situations in life, God's presence can be very tangible. I, I, have, you, have there been times, I guess, I'm asking particularly if you're aware of God's presence, maybe in that moment of danger or of risk, where, yeah. you know, what that looks like for you? Well, there, yeah, there, there has been lots of moments where I've <laughs> just been asking God to be here, even though he, he already is sometimes, because there is a risk involved, there is a danger. And, and quite honestly, it doesn't always go as planned. And I think I'm going to bring all of my investigation experience into this work and, and make it happen, and when in reality... Nearly all the time, we get to a point where there's nothing else we can do except pray. And oftentimes, that's just a reminder from God that that's what we need to do. Because I feel like when we are at our wit's end and everything we've done we, or we could do, we have done, maybe that's when God does his best work, when we need him the most. Mm. Uh, but I've seen that show up many, many, many times. Why don't you um, tell us another Tell us another story about that. Sure. For, well, for example, um, you know, in, in Ghana, when we did our first rescue there, two years after we found all these boys, uh, we rescued 10 boys, all of them we had seen before. And it was tremendous. We felt so good about, great, the work is starting. And then a senior government official within the country suddenly, a very powerful man, suddenly says, that's too expensive for us. We're not going to do it. It's just not going to happen anymore in this country. Even though there are still thousands of boys out there that we have seen, that we have talked to, just breaking our hearts. And we tried to bring all of our resources to bear. We tried to bring public opinion to bear, but it was a senior government official and uh, very well respected in the country. And, And we had nothing left to do. And that's where we just literally turned to God and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. We didn't give up. And we didn't want to give up. And we didn't sense God telling us to give up. And we had nowhere, no idea of where it was going to end up or how it was going to go. Several months later, after continuing to pray, suddenly, without any foreknowledge of us, that government official was replaced. And a government official was put into place who was very proactive and says, why aren't we doing this? Mm. I mean, those are things that... I just can't explain. Yeah. We, yeah. But I've seen this in this work, this work that we get to be a part of happen time and time and time again. They just come out of nowhere. Mm. Um, mm. That's one example. Wonderful. 
Now, we might talk a bit more but, um, about those examples, but let me just take them back a sec. Yeah. So you've mentioned your, your career in law enforcement, and, yes. and you've had you know, quite a long and distinguished career. You've worked with the FBI um, and, and Department of Justice in California. Yes. Um, so after retiring, <laughs> yeah, you, 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 most people think about slowing down after... That's what I was thinking of, actually. Yeah, so tell us a bit about that story. <laughs> well, in California, they had a short time where you could retire at age of 50, which is pretty young. Yeah. And so I took advantage of that. And that was my whole idea and my understanding in my whole life. Retirement meant relax, slow down, have a little fun. You know, and being a Christian, I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some part-time missions work maybe so I, you know, stay connected to God and... And it'll just be great because I'll visit, travel, have fun with my friends, play golf. Okay, God, what do you got for me? And uh, then I got a call from IGM, a recruiter, who must have used the Jedi mind trick or something. <laughs> he, uh, no, really, seriously, um, it was counterintuitive to what I was expecting in retirement. Mm-hmm. He began to tell me about all the slaves in the world. And uh, quite honestly, I verbally said, what slaves? And he said, at that time, there was like 25, 27 million slaves. And I said, honestly, I don't believe there is. I just, I, you know, I wasn't used to it. I hadn't seen it. How could that be? And so, honestly, I was thinking, okay, well, I'll talk to my wife, but I'm pretty sure I'm not going to do that. But I'll talk to her anyway. And that was my way out, my lovely. And, uh, but that backfired on me. I went to talk to my lovely, and my lovely, who is a missionary's kid from the Philippines, said, you know, I think we can do this if you think this is what God. And I said, do you realize this is in Asia? And uh, so I said, well, I can talk to my children because they're not going to want us to go. And they both said you should go. So then I talked to four professionals, four pastors at my church. And uh, surely they're going to have some common sense. And they all said, Vic, this sounds like a call from God. Um, And I could find that what I was doing was looking for a way out. And, And I found no way out. And I then somehow God brought me to his word where I read uh, about the, the bags of gold being left by the wealthy man. And I visioned myself literally, a picture of God came into my mind, standing before God. And God saying, Vic, I gave you a career. I gave you an income. I gave you your health. I gave you a family. I gave you experience. And when the time came, what did you do for my kingdom? And I saw myself standing before God saying, trying to figure out how I could tell him how fun golf was. And uh, I'm not saying it was guilt, but I just had this, I had this vision, I had this picture that this was an opportunity, that God was giving me something really great. Having no idea the challenges, the danger, the risk, way outside of my comfort zone that it actually was. But eventually I surrendered to that, and I'm so glad I did. Mm-hmm. Um, we spent our first three years in Kolkata, India. The hardest three years of my life. Uh, but I'm telling you, it was the greatest three years of my life. Completely opposite culture than what we were used to. I can't even begin to put it into words, though, the joy, the purpose of being used by God there, how good it was and still is to this day. The three years we were there, we rescued 163 girls from sex trafficking, and the three youngest were five years old. And it was all because God had something better. Uh, so my, if you ask me about retirement plans, I have no idea what to tell you. I don't even know what the word means anymore. But it, is, it has been just an amazing adventure ever since. Miracle after miracle. I've seen God do so many things that people have told me were impossible, that are counterintuitive to the world today. Um, mm-hmm. And God has just dramatically, uh, dramatically changed me yeah. also in the process. Yeah. 
Now, tell us a little bit about your work in Southeast Asia, because that's been some of the most recent work you've been doing with IGM. Yes. Is that, is that right? Um, I've been all over Southeast Asia. I just came back uh, from Manila, Philippines, where I got invited to spend some time with a rock band called One Republic. And, and uh, I don't know, it sounds like some of you are familiar with yeah. it. Yeah. But, you know, we have a lot of people who you wouldn't necessarily know or believe that they are believers or Christians, but searching for some way to be purposeful in this world. And out of the six band members, I, I believe uh, three of them are, are believers mm -hmm. and three are kind of questioning things, but they just have this heart. So I was able to go over there in Manila and show them our work in cyber sex trafficking, a, a kind of a new phenomenon in our world where the Internet and technology is now helping these criminals and these evil perpetrators uh, take advantage of young children on the other side of the world. I mean, that's one thing. Uh, in Calcutta, India, just doing the sex trafficking work, so many girls, young girls, being drawn into darkness, uh, poor and poverty-stricken girls who predators prey upon. And we're fighting, literally fighting, to bring light into their world, to rescue them, to save them, to demonstrate God's love for them and risking our lives to get them out of that environment. Mm -hmm. um, Can I ask you, I mean, what you're talking about... Uh, for some of us, we have some yeah. sense of what that is, but even just hearing about it sounds incredibly hard. How do you personally, I guess, process through, deal yeah. with some of the things that you encounter? Well, that's a great question. God has really been very gracious and loving to me to bring me along in that area, and that has actually helped me grow because you know that things don't always go right. We don't rescue every single young girl or young boy we find. You know, I can think of many times where our team has gone out, we found a young girl ready to kill herself because she's been, you know, abused every day. And we go and we organize a rescue, we get the police together, we pray, we pray as much as we can, um, and we go, and for a, a $50, $20 corruption, information is leaked and that girl is gone. And we may never find her again, and we, you know, look to God and say, how could this happen? But, you know, here's what we do. There's a lot of times where I take those images, that girl's face, and I lay them at the feet of Jesus. That's what we have to do. Because God calls us to be faithful. He doesn't call me and say, Vic, you're going to rescue the entire world. Yeah. He takes what we have, what resources, what time, what experience, what strength. He blesses it, and he says, be faithful and go do the work. And so many times, many times, we just hand over the things to God. They are his burden to carry, and he tells us that. And I think it may be a little bit selfish if I try and make all of that my burden, mm. because it's not. Mm. God loves them all, uh, but he calls me to be faithful. Mm. You have a, a piece about you that I think is quite something. And I, um, I wonder, you know, what has your experience in your work taught you about the way that God brings joy and peace into yeah. some of the hard, really hard things that he calls us to do. Yeah, I, well, I think that sometimes God has to drag us along, maybe kicking and screaming, maybe doubting. Yeah. Uh, but I've really learned day by day, the work isn't any easier. The, the rescues are every bit as difficult. But I'm really learning how to hear God's voice with a little bit of clarity above everything else in this world. And I'm learning to bring my heart more in line with God's heart. You know, I didn't start out being a very passionate person towards other people. I don't know how the police are here or the 
but as a police officer in America, I wasn't the most friendly person in the world. And, uh, but since doing this work, I've really learned day by day and listening to God's voice and struggling to hear his voice that his passion really is for people. Um, and uh, I spend a lot of time now um, because walking closely with God, putting myself in a position where I can hear his voice. Because we live in an over-communicated world where everything, social media, friends, family, all want to tell us things, what we should and shouldn't be doing. What we really need to hear and what I'm finding is what I really need to hear is God's voice. Um, That's been the biggest thing that has helped me work through all this is draw near to him every day. And uh, when I do that, I get to be a part of miraculous things. I don't do that all the time. I try to. But, uh, but it, it, you know, it's a, it's a day-by-day struggle, and, and God is really gracious and, uh, and bringing me along. Yeah. Um, we, we'd love to just make an opportunity for folk to ask Vic any questions, uh, which we already have yes. one. So could we maybe use the other microphone? There's another one there. Uh, are you okay to just do the run-around there? Absolutely. Thank you. I got great. all day. I'll tell stories still. <laughs> We might come back and throw it over. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. Ooh, that's loud. Um, love listening to you and hearing um, what's going on. But I'm really keen to understand once you've rescued these kids, sort of what's your strategy on what the, their next steps and how you um, really ingest Jesus's love into their lives yeah. and he- healing them. That's a great question because a lot of people think we just go out and like rescue these young girls, and then we're done. We take a bunch of pictures and we go home and we celebrate. And that's really where the battle just begins. Um, the rescue is, is one part of it. We have to go into the darkness, but we also have to be prepared to stand beside these girls and to, to fight for their lives, to represent them in court, to prosecute their traffickers, and to give them a, a health and a care for a long time because what it is is that they are vulnerable. And if we just let them go back, they're going to continue to be vulnerable. And that's not what we want. We want them in, a, in, a, in the light where they're not going to be drawn back. And so we have to be prepared to care for them for a long period of time. If they're 15 year, years old, for example, we might have to spend the next five or, or longer years caring for them, protecting them. Um, and, and that's what we, we do. Um, and it's quite expensive, and it's quite uh, time-consuming. And it seems like if you were to just look at the numbers and the figures, the data, you would say it's not worth it. But when you get to know these girls and you get to walk with them over years and see them grow and see them begin to change, uh, it is amazing. And that, too, is just a part of the joy because these girls don't trust us right away. They've been lied to their entire lives by everyone. And so when we rescue them, they don't automatically say, oh, thank you so much. No. In fact, they're very abusive sometimes to us. And then they realize that we risk our lives for them, that we actually love them in a wholesome way. And then they ask, well, why do, you, why do you do this? And that's where our faith and our God comes through to them. Because they've been told about so many other gods that have never come through for them. But the God of Jesus, the, you know, God's son Jesus, that God to them is real because he shows up for them um, mm. in a powerful way. And so there is a long program that takes place after they are rescued. Half the time, it's the families that sold them. Um, So we do these studies where we try and understand that so they don't go back there. 
And some of them end up seeing this love. Many, many of the girls in, in sex trafficking in Asia that we rescue, they just, we, don't, you know, we don't go in purposely to evangelize them with words. We evangelize with our lives, with our actions, with everything we do. And many of them want to know what is so different about your God as opposed to the Hindu gods, Ganesh and all those others. And so they ask and they inquire and many of them become believers and then they're ultimately eternally brought into the light. And that is just uh, so powerful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Any other questions that people have? One over there. Just hold We'd love to get it through recording as well. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I guess I just wanted to know how your wife walks alongside you in this journey because she must be amazing and how also she processes this for herself too, watching a husband go through what you go through on a daily basis, which I have to say I'm completely in awe of and yeah, just how you walk that journey together. Well, I'm in awe of it too Uh, and I thank God every day that she's still with me. Uh, The first three years we were with IJM, we lived in Kolkata, India. I don't know if anyone here has been there. It was communist the three years we lived there, uh, but we did it together. And so we did it as a team, and I wouldn't have done it not as a team. And I think think God had that in the plan all along, and um, she puts up with me a lot, (laughs) which I don't completely understand or deserve, but nevertheless. And now when I travel a lot, um, she doesn't go with me to some of the ugly short-term places, um, but she is, uh, we are together in it, absolutely, and I don't think it would work if we weren't. Um, and so it's just an amazing. When we went to Calcutta, India, one of the things we wondered uh, is, how is, is how is Trish going to fit into all this, and what's she going to do, and I'm going to be very busy. Is, and, you know, she's a teacher, and uh, we had a lot of questions, and I think when you, against all odds, when you follow God into something that is really hard, really challenging, really difficult. All your friends maybe are telling you not to do it. It doesn't make sense, but you sense God nudging you to do it, and you are faithful and do it. I just really feel like God honors that and blesses you tremendous ways. And for us, one of the ways that he blessed Trish is there just happened to be a job opening at the U.S. Embassy for a teacher. And so she had this tremendous teaching job that God gave her that influenced uh, some young people in a very, very real way. Um, And it's a miracle. I, I don't hope that answers you. She may have more to say, but... Uh, <laughs> if you would like to add in thinkers. No, okay. All right. She doesn't like standing in front of people. We don't want or, to make you uncomfortable. Or sitting in the front row. So I've really challenged her out of her comfort zone. Any other questions? Here we are. Put your hand up. That's it. Grand that Eric can see. Well. Um, but can you tell us about the success of handing over the work you do to others in all these countries? And is, yeah. is that mantle being carried forth? Yeah. Uh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, our, we feel blessed to be a part of God's work. But at the same time, we also feel like God has a very distinct plan and strategy to use his people, his church around the world, not just IGN. And so we do have a kind of an end game plan. In all the countries IGM works in, we're trying to get national staff to actually end up doing the work. And we really go to countries that have broken public justice systems that typically do not work for the masses of the poor at all. Those are the countries we typically choose. 
And it seems to be that the predators always prey upon the poor. And so we go to these countries with these broken justice systems. We do the rescue operations. The whole time we're training the police. We're raising up national staff to take over. We're training the judges, the magistrates, on how to fix their justice system with the goal of eventually IJM moves out of the picture and the country itself is beginning to, uh, beginning to serve justice to everyone in a real way. Because we believe that that was God's plan uh, for leaders to lead justly. And kind of that's kind of what we're trying to do. Uh, I don't know if that answers your question. But there, there is a plan and an end game to it. Um, and we bring what skills we have with that in mind, hoping to work ourselves out of a job. It's just a blessing that we get a part in it, though. I really feel like, um, yeah. Can I ask, I mean, on that, do you have those situations where you almost come back to a country after you've handed on? You know, it's kind of like, we just, we thought we'd fix this. and yeah. you know. And we <laughs> yeah, I tell you, I've given up trying to figure out God's time plan. Yeah, sure. We think we have it. We think we've nailed it. And it turns out it's not that. Uh, timing is something that I've completely, real, one of the things I've learned that God has his timing and it's not mine. I make plans, and God directs everything. And I can tell you stories about that when we thought the timing was just right for things to happen, and they didn't, and were crushed. And then it, something miraculous happens, and it's even better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, we just we, we're very sensitive to those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've we've had systems kind of look like they were just right, but not yet. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's where we, you know what, that's one of the reasons why we feel very strongly that we have to be connected to God for this work. Um, because you, you just have to be able to follow him in it um, mm-hmm. and listening. Mm-hmm. I can't stress that enough. Mm-hmm. Any other questions? Your husband's right at the back there. Come on. <coughs> that's Eric's lovely. I learned yeah, that this morning. <laughs> Vic, maybe it's an odd question, but I just wondered, have you ever seen any of the bad guys do a turnaround because of the testimony to what you guys are bringing? You know, that's a great question because we really struggle with that issue. We we know, you know, as as believers in this grand scheme of things that like when a, a young girl or a young boy is trafficked, yes, their life is is torn apart and ruined, but also the trafficker is going to end up in a very bad place. So we do, we constantly pray for them in a very real way. Um, we have seen some of them make uh, attempts at changes. We're still looking for the, you know, the one great example that we can share with the world, but it seems like sometimes the enemy just has such a grasp on them, especially in cultures where they've, they've grown up and just been surrounded by an enemy that just lies to them, and it's a tough breakthrough. And I think we're going to get there. I think some of them are going to see it because we don't want criminals to die and go to hell. I mean, we don't want that. We want them to see the light. Uh, and, and it's a struggle. It's a thing we, we just pray for and we feel very bad about. At the same time, we, we try and bring about the reality that, our, that God is a God of justice. And if he were not then it wouldn't work. It wouldn't be right, but he is. And so we try and bring that truth to them. You don't have to end up where you're going. We're looking for that, and we're praying for it all the time. Um, great question. I think we have time probably for one, one more question. I love answering these questions, by the way.
hope that I have a good question then. Um, <laughs> what's one thing I can do differently tomorrow that will help make an impact in the work of IGM? Thanks for asking that perfect yeah. question. Right. It's like you were planted. I, I speak to young people all the time, uh, a lot. College students, high school students, you mind if I stand? No, please do. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, that's a common question. Look, I'm in college. Look, what can I do? I can't move to India. I can't, I can't move to the Philippines. What should I do? And, and, and I tell them, here's what I think everyone could do right now, is make oppression and slavery uh, and violence against the poor an issue that is in your heart, an issue that you care about. We hear the numbers all the time. People see the numbers. They, maybe even they throw money at it. But if it's an issue that's in your heart, because it's an issue that's in God's heart, that's the beginning. And I believe that if you make it an issue you truly care about, God is going to direct your path. And what that means is when you hear about an issue, whether it's here, your own family, in your own neighborhood, or in another country, that you listen to it, you think about it, you, you pray for it, you work towards it. And maybe God's going to direct you to be involved in some way, in some event. Maybe he's going to send you to a foreign country. I don't know. But I know first and foremost, it's got to be an issue that goes beyond the brain, the knowledge, and into the heart. And, that, and that's kind of comes from the, the, the Good Samaritan. I mean, you, you had a priest who saw this man in need. He was robbed. He saw it. The information was there, and he walked by. People walk by slavery every day. They see, they hear the numbers. They hear the terms doesn't mean anything to them, so they just keep walking. The priest the same way. But that Samaritan says he had compassion on the man, which means it was an issue of his heart. And from there, God gave him a way to help, a way forward. I can't tell you what each individual person should do, but that's what I can tell you. Make it an issue of your heart. Kneel before the throne of grace and ask God to help you make it an issue of your heart, and he will, and he'll give you an amazing adventure. I'm, I'm telling you, the adventure is there. The hope, the purpose, uh, the joy is there um, mm. if you do that. Mm. Thanks for that question. Thank you. We, we have a habit of always finishing our time together in prayer. Um, <laughs> Wonderful. It would be lovely to, I think it would be great if you could lead us as we first pray for the world and for some of the situations yeah. there, um, and then ask the Lord to stir our hearts. Yeah just of what, what you've been talking about. So why don't we stand, folks? Let's... Yeah. So first, let's just welcome the Lord to come and to lead us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you this morning. We thank you for your presence here. And Lord, we, we want to come and we just want to ask that your... Your heartbeat would uh, just be relevant to us. We would, we would sense what's on your heart and that our hearts would align to your heart. So lead us, Lord, as we pray. Kind, kind Father, we are so thankful that you first rescued us, that you sent your son, Jesus, to rescue us from our own enslaved condition of sin. And I thank you, Father, that you gave us a purpose and a meaning in this life, that it counts for something. And Father, as we think about all the things in this world, I pray that you will be with us every day and help us to turn to you 
and hear your voice to direct our paths and our hearts in how we should best serve you and go throughout this world and live out our faith. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are out in the field in the darkness right now, fighting to bring light into the dark areas, fighting to give those who are oppressed and who have no freedom uh, hope in you, Father. Uh, That changes things. Give us strength. Give us your protection, O Lord. Give us your endurance to keep fighting, Father, your power and your strength. Because, Lord, we know it will be difficult. We know there will be trouble on the horizon. But we also know, Father, that the victory is yours. And we thank you for that, Father. We ask that you would direct us every day to be people who live lives of transformation. And it is in the name that you have given us, that great name of your son, Jesus, that we pray for these things.